0: So we're in this series called Fuzzy Math, when what God does doesn't make sense, and really I began to think about it this morning. A lot of these stories are just the stories you learn when you were a kid in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school, and so today we're going to talk about Daniel in the lion's den, which is um, it is a great story. Kids love this story because there's intrigue, and there's spying, and there's um, lions, and danger, and and so, the very best title for this I saw, I was kind of researching what do other people call the sermons or whatever. And the very best one I saw was uh, What to Do When You're on the Menu. I, I think that is a great title. And so, that's the title of the message today. All right. So, to understand all these stories, you have to know the backstory. So, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 initially, but then we're going to go to Daniel chapter 6. And you, you need to understand something. There's a big difference, there's a big time difference between Daniel 1. And Daniel 6. So let's sort of jump into the story Um, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So you got two kings two kingdoms uh, Judah that's Israel Um, Jehoiakim is their king Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He is more powerful and so the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hands Sometimes um, it would be nice to think that uh, the good guys always win. Well, the good guys weren't so good, and so uh, bad things sometimes happen. And the, the Jewish people are captured uh, by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, uh, the king ordered, Nebuchadnezzar ordered uh, Aspenaz, uh, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites. It was very common if you conquered a kingdom, then you, you know, to the victor goes the spoils. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar was going to bring back the best and the brightest, the, um, the smartest, the most handsome. Look how it describes it. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And so our society has a history of slavery Slavery isn't new, wasn't you know the United States didn't invent slavery. In fact, slavery's been going on for literally uh, thousands of years. And when a conquering kingdom went into a kingdom, they would take the best and the brightest. Oftentimes, even in Jesus' day, there were slaves. and oftentimes the slaves would be folks from other, from other countries, who were brought in, who were better educated, more trained, smarter—that's uh, just sort of how it worked. And so Daniel is among the people; these young men who are taken to a uh, to a foreign land. He doesn't know. He doesn't know the language. Uh, he doesn't understand the culture, and he so- certainly doesn't adhere to the religious practices. And yet, they're taken from. What they know, these young men, Daniel being one, are taken from what they know to what they don't know, and they have to um, learn to adapt. Now, it's good because they're very smart, they're very wise, they're handsome, all those sorts of things, and Daniel is exceptional. He is one of those who rises to the top, he is kind of the better, best of the best, and so he... Uh, Acquires a certain status uh, in the kingdom because he is so uh, helpful as as a, a servant to the king. Now, when I was a kid, every picture I saw of Daniel in the Lions Den was Daniel was this thirty-something-year-old dude in with a bunch of lions, petting them like you know they're the, his pet dog. In all actuality, Daniel was probably in his 80s when the story of Daniel and the Lions then happens. And that changes the way I think about things, because the older I get, I think differently than I used to. So Daniel had already served in three administrations. He served for Nebuchadnezzar for about 50 years. The next guy he served for was a guy named Belshazzar. He served him for 15 years. So that's 65 years in service to the kings before this new king, uh, his name was Darius, takes over. So from Daniel 1 to Daniel 6, there's about a 65-year run there of Daniel being in um, the the employ, if you will, or as a slave to the kings. So he's, he's an old guy by now. I mean, he's in his 80s. Most likely he's in his 80s. If he's not in his 80s, he's knocking on the door of 80. And one would think when you get to be 80, you get to quit. You know, it's like we sort of have retirement ideas about things. But evidently, you don't age out of spiritual usefulness. And so here we have an 80-year-old guy who God still figures he can use, and he uses him in a powerful way. Now, it pleased Darius, this is the new king, the third king that Daniel has worked for, to appoint 120 satraps, Satraps are sort of like um, governors, kind of a a ruler over an area. Uh, 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. So there was a a guy over, well, if it's 120, 120 divided by three is 40. So maybe every 40 satraps have a, a leader in charge of them. It's kind of a, you know, it's a. You can see that in your mind, this um, uh, organizational chart that there's the king and then these three guys and then 40 guys under each of the three guys. And one of these administrators was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. (laughs) Super interesting language here. When you say so that the king might not suffer loss, what that means is if there's a downturn in the economy, the king doesn't feel it. So it's going to come out of the satraps' pay. Uh, he's not going to feel any sort of downturn in what happens. And so uh, King Darius, being the wise man that he is, he decides that he's going to structure this so that he never suffers loss. It's kind of interesting, I think. Now Daniel, it says is so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So now uh, the king is going to change the organizational chart. It's king, three administrators, 120 satraps, and he's about to elevate one of the three sort of... It's going to be, you know, uh, king, CEO, two dudes, and then 120 guys. That's kind of in my mind how this is going to happen. Or maybe he's going to elevate one guy. and He's going to have three administrators, but Daniel's going to be over everybody. Now, um, quick question: How do political most political rivals act when passed over for a promotion? This is a test. It's your only test for the day. We've only got one test. But how do they typically? or respond? Do they take it in stride and quietly fade away? Do they work to help their opponent succeed or do they actively scheme to cause their rival to fail? Which do you think is the answer? Just go ahead and shout it out. Yeah, easiest test you'll ever have. Um, I wish the test at school when I was in school had been this easy. So word gets out. Uh, Darius, who by the way uh, has a band called Hootie and the Blowfish Uh, uh, Darius decides that uh, he's going to promote one guy and word gets out because it's in the administration you know, uh, do you like look at the news and like uh, something leaked, nothing leaks people just talk and so the administration's going on and there's talk and so King Darius is talking with somebody and he says, hey, I really like that Daniel, I think I'm going to promote him And everybody gets word of this. And so they they begin to scheme, maybe the least surprising news ever. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct in government affairs, because that's what happens. Rivals typically don't take being passed over lying down. A couple of things here. When someone sets the bar really high with their conduct, the typical response of most people is to try to pull them down to their level. Uh, Sometimes you'll try to rise, but most of the time it's like, okay, he's this good, I'm going to try to pull him down. This is why when politics happen, when there are elections, uh, the, the rivals will talk about how bad their opponent is. You know, uh, he beats his dog. Uh, uh, his wife is, you know, doesn't even like him. You know, that kind of stuff. And so they'll say stuff, you know, they go on separate vacations. And, uh, and so they, there's this digging of the dirt. We call it sling mud, right? I mean, it's kind of in politics that just sort of happens. Something else. It's really important for us who follow uh, the Lord to understand something just because you do right doesn't mean everything is going to go right. And here's Daniel and he has faithfully served in three administrations. I mean, he served Nebuchadnezzar for 50 years. That is a long run. And then the next guy, Belshazzar, 15 years. And now Darius, he wants to serve him, I guess until he dies. I mean that kind of if you're 80, uh, your your runway is pretty short. He's got some time left and he's going to serve him to the best of his ability as long as he has left. And his opponents are looking for something. And even today, you, you know this, I'm gonna give you your second quiz for the day, and I promise this is the only one other one you're gonna get. What's the favorite word for people who try to find fault with Christians? What are they what, what's the word that they use? And it begins with an H: Hypocrite. And so they're looking for, for, for Daniel to be a hypocrite. They're trying to find their look. They begin to test his tweets. They assess his assets. They follow his Facebook. They investigate his Instagram. They ogle his Google. I mean, they are looking at everything. They they are collecting, inspecting, and dissecting all of his actions, his words. They're looking back at his tweets. They're trying to see if they can find anything. They're looking for dirt. And these are people who have something to gain by finding fault and they find no fault but they were unable to do so they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent he he was above board i don't mean to imply he was perfect nobody is perfect except for jesus and so but in his dealings he was top shelf all right so <laughs> Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Plan A, let's find dirt. Well, no dirt is to be found. Plan B, let's use his religion against him. It is a plan that has been uh, uh, tried and, and been tried successfully for thousands of years. You understand this was thousands of years ago. This happened a long time ago, 600 BC. Uh, This is a long time past. And somebody said to somebody else, hey, uh, Daniel has a reputation for being godly, and Darius has a reputation for being a narcissist, and so let's see if we can pit them against one another. Now understand something. Darius is very fond. The king is very fond of Daniel, He's wanting to elevate him to a higher position. They are friends. And yet, these these people are cunning. They are exceptionally cunning. And so they come up with a strategy. So, here's what happens. so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and they said, "May king Darius live forever." Evidently that's the way you're supposed to address a king. If you ever meet a king, you should say, "May the king live forever." That that is kind of the deal back in the day. So, "May the king live forever." And then they said, "We've all agreed. We've kind of had this conversation. We we were at lunch one day and we were brainstorming, what can we do to make the king feel more kingy?" And this is their this is what they come up with. "We've all agreed that the king should be should should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during this next 30 days except to you your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den well unsurprisingly the king likes the idea oh i'm going to be treated like a god for a month where do i sign up and that is darius's response Ladies, it's like how your husband treated you on Valentine's Day only for a month. It's exactly the same thing. And there are guys in the room right now going, was Valentine's Day recently? Yes, it was. Uh, And you're in church, she probably won't kill you. So that's good. All right, so um, here you have a law enacted, and these guys are super smart. So they said, King, let's get this in writing. Um. We want you to write this down. Because an idea is great, but when it is put in writing, now it becomes official. And so they had him sign a document that says, For the next month, no one can pray to anyone other than me, Darius. And he signs off on this stupid, stupid law. He thinks it's great. Uh, he, he wasn't playing the movie for it. How could, this, how could anything bad happen from this? And you have to ask yourself the question. Think of how chilling it would be if in America there was a law that was passed. And, and I don't know if you can see this happening, but it could happen. What if a law was passed where you couldn't worship the way you wanted to, or you couldn't pray the way you wanted to, or you couldn't attend church if you wanted to? I mean, there are, not this country, but there are countries where that is in existence. There are places in the world today where you can't pray the way you want. You can, can, but it's illegal. You can't attend church the way you want. You can, but it's illegal. There are places in the world today with these kinds of rules. And so, here we have Daniel, thousands of years ago, who experienced the same thing. So let's look at some lessons from Daniel. Number one, in public exercise integrity. Now remember, we're going to kind of double back on this verse. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Distinguished himself among is comparative language. It's an expression of comparison. He stacked up wonderfully with other people. The Hebrew word is Nassah, which means he was... N- nassah has this idea of brightness, like being light, not just smart, but like lights, that he was bright. And, and Jesus used language like this. Jesus said, you're the light of the world, let your light shine before others. And so here you have Daniel, and he is, he is not only... I don't know if he's brighter, like smarter than everybody else, but his integrity was noteworthy. It was noteworthy. And in business and in life, we want our integrity to be noteworthy. I don't know who said this. It's been attributed to like 9,000 people, but someone one time said, reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. And, and, And so... This is a man who is of highest integrity. He is what you see is what you get, kind of a person. Integrity comes, uh, uh, it has the root integer, which in math is a whole. It's a whole number. It's not, the whole person of of Daniel was, was exceptional. It says he had exceptional qualities. In fact, that language talks about even having a, um, a winsome, positive attitude. And, and honestly, when you get older, it's harder to have a winsome, positive attitude. You, you don't feel as good. You don't have enough energy. Uh, you remember how it used to be. You liked it better back then. Uh, we developed this get-off-my-lawn syndrome, you know. I mean, it, it's easy to do that when you get older. And so this whole idea that that Daniel not only was, was an example to others, but he was also had this, this winsome personality. I mean, that's really important. Um, all right, so this is an aside. It has nothing to do with anything spiritual, but these are funny. Uh, I found some old people pickup lines I just have to share with you. These are great. Um, Excuse me, is your name cholesterol because you just sent my blood pressure sky high? That's funny right there. That's good Um, Hey, let's meet for dinner. Let's say 430. Uh, I think that's funny Uh, How'd you like to be in my will? That's a good one. And this is my favorite Hey, baby, you need to call life alert because I've fallen for you and I can't get up. Oh That's gold. So if y'all need those you're welcome to them. All right, so One of the things you do as you get older is you have to remember, okay, I still set an example, but also one of the things I need to do is to continue to maintain a certain enthusiasm in life. The word enthusiasm is like a compound word, in theos, uh, in God. Theos is God. And so there is this, this notion that I, even though I'm older, I can still be... Productive and effective, and I can still help and I can pray. Uh, As a pastor, I've had the chance to counsel people who are older and chat with them sometimes. And, And occasionally you'll meet somebody and they'll say, I don't, I don't know why I'm still here. And I I always hate when somebody says that, I don't know why I'm still here. Well, you're still here because God wants you here, and you obviously there's a purpose. And I, don't, I can't find the purpose for you. Uh, I can make suggestions, but we don't age out of being useful. And so here you have this 80-year-old administrator who everyone knows is exceptional. And he's setting the standard. And, and he's the guy people look up to. So in public, we have integrity. In private, we cultivate prayer. Look at this verse. Now, so this law is issued; the decree is given. Everyone knows it's happening. Hey, you can't pray for the next month unless you pray to Darius. Now, in our society, I mean, if if there was a law that was issued that said you can only pray, you know, uh, to. Uh, whatever, I don't know, whatever it might be, if that, that law came into play. Uh, I would have uh, a tendency to try to rationalize Well, I can pray in my heart. Uh, nobody has to know. Well, <laughs> Daniel didn't take that tact. He, he Look, now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows open toward Jerusalem. He ain't hiding nothing. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. This is Clint Eastwood-type gutsiness. I mean, this is like, okay, well, you can make a law, but you can't make me obey the law. This is civil disobedience at its best. He didn't flaunt it. He did it in his private room. But neither did he hide it. He had the window open. He, he didn't go to the rotunda at the Capitol and kneel. He didn't show off what he was doing. He simply did what he did always, just as he had always done before. He just kept doing what he did. And I read a headline three weeks ago. Uh, in Britain, there was a man who was fined for silently praying outside an abortion clinic. I mean, we think th- this story is so far in the past. Well, maybe it's not so far in the past. And there is an effort to say you can't worship God the way that you want to. And Daniel's like, I, I was thinking about this on the way home. All right, If he had been young, would he have done it that way? I mean, now he's 80. He's like, what do I got to lose? You know, <laughs> like, like, And I don't know if Daniel had the, hey, dude, I'm 80. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't know if that was his whole deal. But he wasn't going to let some snotty nosed punk tell him what to do. And so he just, he did what he did. He did what he always did. It's like, I'm not changing for some king. I'm going to do, I'm not changing for some crazy law that I don't even agree with. I'm going to do what I do. And Martin Luther King Jr. one time said, uh, If a man hasn't discovered something he will die for, he isn't fit to live. I think that is a brilliant statement. If a man hasn't found something he's willing to die for, he's not fit to live. Now, I'm no art critic. I don't really know the ins and outs of art, but I like what I like. And I like this picture. It's a Norman Rockwell And it's set in this greasy cafe, and these are uh, obviously kind of white-collar or uh, blue-collar workers, and and this little grandmother and her grandson find themselves sitting at a table. Maybe the the restaurant was full, and there they are, and they are going to pray whether anybody else prays or not. I think it's a sweet, sweet picture. Prayer is this powerful statement. You don't pray for show. But you don't hide it either. If you go to Mr. Salsa for lunch, pray over your meal. Don't, you don't have to, like, yell it. But just pray. I mean, be people of conviction. God has called us to this. Look, I'll tell you the best time to pray. When you're driving home, you need, if you have driven in Greenville, you need to be praying. I mean, good grief. I pray that I won't kill somebody. It's like, you know, there's this prayer to be prayed out there. Now, Daniel kind of shows us how to do it. Let me show you a couple things. He had a specific place to pray. He went home to his upstairs room, where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Now, at this point, Jerusalem is is rubble. I mean, it had been uh, conquered and destroyed and torn down. He wasn't praying to Jerusalem, but he was praying to the God of Jerusalem. He's like, "This is kind of. I'm going to have a certain place to sit. I'm going to face a certain way. For me, it is in uh, our bedroom. We have a couple of chairs there. I have a, I have one that I sit in when I'm going to read my Bible in the morning. And so I get up, I get my coffee, I read my Bible. Uh, that's where I pray. I have my little notepad there. These are the people I'm going to pray for today, that kind of thing. and so you have a a, a routine. Uh, Jesus had a routine very early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up left the house went off to a solitary place where he prayed there, there we, you need to have a designated place so where am I gonna pray what's gonna be my spot to pray maybe it's in the living room maybe it's in the den maybe it's in the bedroom maybe I don't know it's in the jacuzzi you know I don't I mean you can pray in a jacuzzi that's a great place so wherever it is for you You need to have a place. And then a second thing is he had a a regular time. It says he prayed three times a day. Um, There's a a psalm, I think it's the 55th psalm, that says, uh, evening, morning, and noon I pray to you. And so in the Jewish mind, the the day began in the evening. And so that's kind of why he says it. So three times a day, he has this schedule to pray. I don't know if he like, set an alarm on his watch. You know, I'm going to pray at 9, I'm going to pray at 12, I'm going to pray at 3. I don't know exactly how he did it. But Daniel had three specific times every day that he prayed. I mean, if you think about it, it could be for, for us. It could be at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner. Uh, it just makes sense. There, there's a rhythm to it. There's a place. There's a time. Uh, he he uh, assumed a particular posture to pray. Uh, he got down on his knees. He's 80 years old. Uh, getting down on our knees. This is sort of symbolic of um, there's someone uh, you you kneel to people who are higher than you, right? So kneeling is is one posture. I, I, I found a little I found a little um, graphic here. Uh, these are all you know biblical ways to pray. You could sit. You could bow. You can kneel. You can stand with uplifted hands prostrate i mean there's there's ways to pray i think walking i would be praying right there if i was walking i would really be praying so there are lots of ways to pray uh, none are better or worse than the other it's just the way daniel did it was he he got down on his knees and he made it a daily habit just as he had always done before, just as he has always done before. Daniel got on his knees, even though he's in his 80s, and he prays. All right, so guess what? He gets caught. (laughs) Imagine that. He's not hiding anything. He's not flaunting anything. He's doing it the way he always does it. And then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And so they went to the king. Snitches are going to snitch. And that's what they do. Look, if you are a hunter and I'm not one, but I watch shows about that kind of stuff, survival dudes, right? I'm pretty sure I would last an hour or two if I was dropped in the wilderness because I watched all those shows. I know how to make a deathfall trap. Do you know what that is? Well, I do. I don't know how to make one, but I'm pretty sure I could uh, because I've watched the shows. Now, when I watch the shows... These guys uh, and gals, they have a notion around the prey. You got to know where the prey goes for water, where where the prey walks. So sometimes there's a there's a path, and it's like, oh, this is an animal path. And and if you're if you know what you're looking for, like I do, because I'm an expert, because I've watched the shows. uh, If you know what to look for, you can find where the prey go. If you're a fisherman then you you know all right the water temperature and there's a depth finder ladies that's why they need all those gadgets because they've got to know they got to put their you got to get inside the mind of the prey how do i capture the prey because the prey is going to do stuff every time the same way It's it's interesting. They, They walk the same path. They sleep in the same place. They do the same things. And so this is exactly what Daniel did. He did the same thing every day. And those who were trying to catch him knew his pattern. And so they just observed him, and they catch him. They found out, and they went to the king. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. That was the aha moment for him. It's like, oh, They came to me with that stupid law so they could catch Daniel. He had a moment. You ever have a moment? Like, all of a sudden, you know you've made a mistake? Well, this is Darius's aha, I made a mistake moment. And it says... He was distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel and he made every effort until sundown to save him. But alas, he could not save him because it was in writing and he couldn't undo what he'd already done. And I don't know if you know people who live with regret, regretting a decision they made in the past. Um, A lot of times that's people in prison, uh, people with addictions, and people like me. I mean, how many times in your life does something come up and you go, man, I wish I hadn't done that? We, we, most all of us, probably all of us, live with some measure of regret. And here you have Darius, and he has regret. And so in public we have integrity, integrity, In private, we cultivate prayer. And then that leads us to under pressure, we experience peace. Now, look at how this plays out. You talk about spiraling out of control really, really quickly. So they make a law. It takes about a day to catch Daniel. Uh, Darius tries to undo the law, but he can't undo the law. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Why do you have a lion's den? Well, this is this means of punishment, not just, but it's the means of execution. Uh, firing squad, uh, hanging, throwing people in the lion's den. These are they're all comparable. It's a way to get rid of somebody. And they threw Daniel into the lion's den, and the king said to Daniel, evidently before he throws him in, I would think, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Now, I find it interesting because the king understands the God that that, uh, Daniel serves. And then he says this, Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Uh, Being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Again, there's this regret. And the Persians, they would have this lion's den, and, and in the den there would be lions. And a, a fully grown male lion can grow to 10 feet from head to tip of tail. They can weigh up to 500 pounds. These are huge beasts. A, a lion can kill a 150-pound gazelle with one swipe of its paw, can pick it up in its mouth and jump over a, uh, a, a fence or a, a rock ledge three feet tall with a, the with a gazelle in its mouth. The, these guys are... They are bad dudes. I went on a safari one time. Uh, Janelle, my third daughter, and I went uh, um, to Tanzania on a mission trip. And one of the days, they gave us uh, off, and so we went on a, a, a driving around uh, safari kind of a thing. And, and we came upon this pride of lions. And I mean, we parked we parked really, really close to them. And they were, they were kind of chill. I think they had just eaten, <laughs> which is somewhat comforting. Um, I cracked my window like this and I was scared out of my mind because it's right they're right here. And and they look... Cats are sneaky. They're sneaky. And I was just thinking, you know, that dude is eyeballing me. I could see him looking at me, like sizing me up, like how many bites that would be. I I could just tell what he was... I was thinking. These are are incredibly uh, ferocious beasts. If you're thrown into a lion's den, the idea is you do not come out. They don't throw you in there to hang out with the lions. They're hungry, and you are a meal. That's the whole purpose of a lion's den. They keep them hungry. And so they throw this 80-year-old dude. Now think about this. Being thrown into a den at 80, that's going to be punishment enough. I mean, when you fall down and you're 80... Sometimes you don't even get up from that. So here you are, and he's throwing him into this pit. And here's what happens. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. I don't suspect that was his normal practice. When you're a king, you can sleep in, but he didn't sleep in that day. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Now this is how I see this going down. If I am the king and the lions den is here and they are active lions, I don't know if they can jump out or not. So I'm kind of I'm kind of talking to him from a distance, right? Hey Daniel, I'm I'm, I'm like, like I'm yelling into the pits. And Daniel, servant of the living God, he says, "Has your God whom you serve continually?" He said that twice, by the way. "Whom you continually serve." You, you didn't obey this stupid law. You continue to serve your God. Even in this, Daniel is setting an example. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, I, I think this is interesting too. Hey Daniel, I don't worship your God, but I'm hoping that your God has done something for you. Because When they threw Daniel into the pits, there's no chance Darius thinks... The odds of him coming out are slim and none and slim left town. There's just no way he's coming out of this. Because the nature of the lions would be that they are going to attack the prey. This is what happens. Daniel answered from the lion's den with the lions... May the king live forever. May God... That's what we have to say if we ever meet a king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. All right, here's what I think happened. In lion world, there is a hierarchy. There is the alpha male lion and what he does, everybody does. So when he sleeps, everybody sleeps. When he hunts, everybody hunts. It's kind of how it goes. He is the alpha, and everybody follows his lead. So if he attacks, all of them would attack. I think when Daniel says God sent his angel, I think there was a bigger, badder lion in the den And in Revelation, it talks about Jesus. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. There was a bigger, badder lion in the den. Reminds me of that old story. You probably heard it before. Old country church, and everybody's worshiping, and all of a sudden the devil comes in, and he's roaring, and everybody's scared out of their minds. And they're running out the doors and through the windows, except for one little old lady and the devil comes up to her, and he roars at her, and she doesn't even flinch. And he said, do you know who I am? She said, yeah, you're the devil. I've been married to your brother for 45 years. You ain't scaring me. Uh, so uh, there is a place in life where you just, it just doesn't scare you. And, and here you have Daniel, and this just doesn't scare him. And you beat the lion before you meet the lion. He, he just... Knew. He knew one of two things. God would protect him or his time was done. And he was okay either way. What I love about the story is it doesn't say they had to, you know, tie Daniel up or force him to go in. I think he went willingly. He knew one of two things God would save him or God would take him. And he was okay either way. You beat the lion before you meet the lion. How did he beat the lion? Well, okay, he was a man of prayer. He was a man of integrity. He knew if he had to meet God, then he had lived a, a life that was full of integrity. He was a man of prayer. He didn't give up on his principles. It's a pretty good life. He's living a pretty good life. God would either save him or take him. And he was comfortable either way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Daniel, this story, the lessons that you teach us through all this. It's a great kid's story, but you know what? It's a great adult story, too. Help us to be people who exhibit integrity, who cultivate prayer, and who live with peace. I think most of us want those things in our lives. We ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.